All right, everyone. So this is a it's a it's a special message for us. We enjoy doing these. It's one of my favorite messages of the entire year. Um, it's just called from the heart of the elders, and um, you get to hear my voice quite a bit. Mike usually is leading worship. Andy is typically filling in wherever he can as we need him uh, in any capacity, whether that's Lord's Supper, um, supply preaching, special prayer times. You. But you, you hear my voice pretty much the most. And so I love this time, not because I get to speak less, but because you get to hear from the heart of the elders and you get to hear uh, Andy and Mike's hearts. Um, so what we do in Heart of the Elders is all three of us will be speaking during the message. Um, we're not in Matthew today. We're in whatever passages as we pray that God has put on our hearts as we are shepherding you cross line. So we call it from the hearts of the elders. It's a time for each of us to share unique passages that God puts on our heart as we think about those that God has given us to shepherd. This means that all of our passages do not necessarily coordinate. We kind of communicate, hey, I'm doing this passage and this passage, um, but we don't try to like line them out. And so it's really neat whenever they actually do align. Um, and so we're, but that's what goes on. This allows us to share a plurality of voices for the singular purpose of Crosslight which is this, that we all know Christ in his fullness and that we make him known. And so you get to hear from all the elders in that scope. And what that means is we pray for you as we shepherd with you, as we're thinking about you over this past year, as we're thinking about you in this upcoming year, what are the passages that God has laid very distinctly, directly on our hearts? So the flow of this will be that um, I'm giving the introduction and then we will rotate we say taking equal time. We're trying our best here. Um, we were, we are mindful that um, that we have a countdown clock. It's just a suggestion, um, but we are trying to keep them in five to six minute intervals. And um, and Mike, whenever he practiced his first passage, it landed at twelve minutes, and so then he began to whittle uh, away. So we we do our best. We're gonna take as equal time as we can. We each have two passages that we want to lead each of you through and so the rotation will look like this that i'm introing mike will share then andy will will share one of his passages andy will share a passage i will share a passage and then mike will share andy and then me and then i will conclude uh conclude us with a prayer so from the heart of the elders that's the the really the thrust of this and um it's it's really you're gonna need your bibles we're gonna keep you in scripture and keep your Keep you in those passages, but um, we want you to know our heart for you, for cross life, and for ourselves as we move forward. With all that said, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you are most glorified in this message today. I pray that your name is most known, it's most talked about, that your glory is what we seek, and that your salvation is what holds us secure. Lord, I pray that we find true joy and delight in the joy of our salvation. And Lord, that our hearts are laid not only bare before you in preparation, but laid bare before you and before all in our presentation. Lord, give us clear speech. We're fine without eloquence. Lord, we want at the end of the day not to be how well we spoke, but Lord, how greatly you were upheld. And the Lord, I do pray for just the clarity of our speech so that we can convey what it is that you've put on our hearts, that you would speak to your people through your word. And Lord, I just pray that our hearts are prepared 
and humble before you as we speak and as we hear. For we pray so in your son's holy name. Amen. <coughs> well, good morning. Uh, being the newest elder, you know, this is my first time to participate in the Heart of the Elders talk. Actually, I just realized we've been part of Cross Life since our, since our third year, but we've always been gone the last Sunday of each year for some reason. So I've never even heard a Heart of an Elders talk. I think that's maybe what got me. Um, so um, I've been in church leadership uh, for over 20 years, serving as a uh, deacon, an associate pastor of worship, uh, minister of music, uh, and this last year was my first time serving as an elder to me at Cross Life. Uh, I do remember when I was considering eldership, uh, I was praying a lot and reading a lot, both from the Bible and some books that Andy and uh, Ricky had given me, and the chapter in one of the books really stood out to me. It was entitled, Smell Like Sheep. And uh, it, it really articulated that an elder equals pastor. And the Greek word that we translate for pastor literally means shepherd. So an elder is a pastor, is a shepherd, which means care for the flock. Um, in Acts 20, Paul warns the elders, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That admonition really helped me to see that our core role, Ricky, Andy, myself, is to tend to you, the members of Cross Life. Like shepherds tend their sheep, really as under-shepherds, who serve the good shepherd and tend his flock. Uh, we're not managers, but rather we are to engage in relationship with you. Shepherds are to be among the sheep, living life with you, walking with you. We should smell like sheep. It's the title of the chapter. Uh, just as Jesus immersed himself with his disciples, uh, we also choose to be in close relational proximity to you, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to teach, pray, and serve for your edification, that you might know Jesus more intimately, obey him more faithfully, and reflect his character more clearly. Why? Because we know that healthy, mature believers re reproduce themselves spiritually as they share the gospel with others and help them grow in Christ. That was my introduction. Um, so, <laughs> now the time starts. Um, <laughs> the, the first thing, gosh, it's so tough. I, I teach at the university and I, I move around a lot and it's just tough to be constrained here to this. Although that's how I leave worship, I don't get to move. Uh, the first thing I'd like to share from my heart for you and us is that we were made to worship God. And when we gather to worship and exalt his name, we also edify one another. My primary role here at Cross Life is to shepherd your souls through song, uh, to lead you to worship the God in spirit and in truth. Worship is our response 
when we encounter the, the revelation of God that exalts God's glory through Christ in our minds, affections, and wills in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the essence of worship, to act and serve in a way that exalts and reflects the glory of God. All of life is worship. All that we do, we should do in the name of Jesus with thanks to God. Paul's first letter offers a clear New Testament understanding of our purpose as the body. In 2 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And then he gives the purpose. That you may declare his praises, who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So that, that's our reason for being, to declare his praises, to worship him, our Heavenly Father. Paul told the church in Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit. And he encouraged them to sing and make music from their heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's Ephesians 5, 19 to 20. And in Psalm 94, 3, uh, it encourages, and we sing this, Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. When we gather to worship and exalt his name together, we also edify one another. Exaltation is that vertical, vertical aspect of our corporate response to God's grace. And edification is the horizontal aspect of declaring his praises to one another. Both take place at the same time. As we exalt God, we edify one another. Many of our great hymns of faith give us words to praise God and encourage the body of Christ at the same time. These songs reflect biblical teaching that those who are filled with the Spirit show it by speaking to one another when we sing and make music in our heart to the Lord. Our unity and our praise is connected. In Romans 15, 5 and 6 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, edification, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exaltation. So as we worship God, we simultaneously spur each other on, you know, say, you know, delight yourself in the Lord. Take comfort in these promises. Uh, glorify the Lord with me. When Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Thus, exaltation and edification are mutually reinforcing ideas. Glorifying God encourages others and loving our brothers and sisters brings delight to God. Edification is imperative in the life of the church. We use the word edification and in the New Testament its translation is literally the building of a house. 
Vine's expository dictionary indicates it's the promotion of spiritual growth and development of believers by teaching or by example, suggesting such spiritual progress as the result of patient labor. Mutual edification involves helping one another along on the road to Christ-likeness, and it requires the participation of all the members of the church. Edification can be encouragement, that we share to lift someone's heart toward the Lord, pointing out evidences of grace in another person's life to help them see that God is using them, uh, reminding each other of God's promises that assures them that they, whatever they're facing is under his control. Exhorting one another and holding each other accountable prompts us to engage in activities that promote the glory of God. Accountability means that we lovingly check on each other and our spiritual progress in the world. True fellowship is the interaction we have on a deeper spiritual level. And teaching and preaching deepens our understanding of the Word of God. Worship comes out of revelation and the character of God as revealed in His Word. So we study, we pray, teach, and sing his word, the revelation of God's love for us inspires our response of love to him. And part of our response is to sing. I hope you enjoy singing. I enjoyed it this morning. Uh, because throughout John's revelation, we get that glimpse of heaven and those heavenly snapshots, we see what the main activity is going to be. Worship and singing. So... Get ready. It's all eternity. Uh, we may all not all be great singers, and we're not all, but we are all created to sing. Uh, he gave us more than just vocal cords. He designed our minds, our souls, and spirit to sing his praise. Your Heavenly Father cares whether and what you sing. He doesn't really mind how well you sing it. Songs of praise to God are teaching tools teaching each other God's Word. I take seriously the admonition from Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of God, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How do we do this? Singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So we strive to sing hymns, uh, we, we sing songs that quote scripture. Uh, we sing songs from our history and tradition. And according to Psalm 96, we sing new songs. Uh, and our singing should echo the truths of God in the world. Melodies matter. Words matter. Our songs teach us and others about God. I'm very intentional about the songs we choose for you to sing. I've told Ricky more than once, uh, if the song won't preach, we're not going to sing it. Meaning that we try to make sure that when we sing songs and we put them before you, they contain truths from Scripture and a right view of God. Your mind shouldn't be numb while singing because we don't just sing, we think. You should be considering, what's this saying about God? How does this point to Jesus as he's revealed in the Word? Is it true? We're singing people because the gospel of the Lord Jesus compels us 
to praise Him. That's how we respond. It's about what we love more than anything. Our praise is prompted, compelled by the revelation of something glorious. And the gospel is the revelation of the most glorious truth in all of history. So my heart is to leave you in songs and remind us that God has done a great work for us. Biblically rich content in songs, which are sung by people who look like they mean it when they're singing it, uh, helps teach that the gospel is something credible and powerful rather than cultural and optional. Our songs are really a public manifesto of what we believe as a church. So worship is our response when we encounter the revelation of God that exalts God's glory through Christ in our minds, affections, and will in the power of the Holy Spirit. Worship is of primary importance to God, and worship is our main purpose, both in this life and throughout eternity. Worship is in all of life, and we act and serve in a way that hopefully reflects the glory of God. And when we gather to worship and exalt his name, we also edify one another. The writers of the Westminster Catechism put it this way, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. All right. Cross life. Um, you know, I, I, I think our, um, I think what we have to say actually was going to, uh, even though we didn't really coordinate all together, is actually going to have a lot of resonance um, together. You know, on uh, worship, as Mike was saying, it, it is kind of one of the focuses, and it'll come all back around in my second uh, passage. But, but worship is, is, is the center of, of what I is, is at the heart of what I have to say as well. Um, I'll just, I'm going to just start going off of here. It, it, you know, as we were reflecting on what passages we might share for Cross Life, um, I thought, and I think you're going to see that we'll all have much the same message, which is not a bad thing, right? The one thing we keep central to our preaching and teaching at Cross Life, so you're going to actually hear just kind of one message over and over again, hopefully, is behold, behold God in Christ. Go deeper into the gospel. Worship him and seek him and love him and make him the center of your universe. That is worship, right? And that's why I like how Daniel picked this, your will be done this morning, because um, that's, that's what we want to do. But we are so prone to, as the third line says, my heart is drawn to self-exalting, that my will be done. And we fall back to that all the time. And so and, and my heart for you this morning, is, and for all of us, for me, is, to, is not self-exalting, but to worship the one who deserves our worship. Right? We love him because he first loved us. And because of, uh, and, and because of his love for us, as in, Paul says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, in view of God's mercy, because of his love for us and what he's done for us, we want to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, worship, right? Holy and pleasing to God. 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let this sit in you and transform your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. That's not my passage, by the way. <laughs> the first passage, I actually have several passages that I'm kind of skating around here, are from Ecclesiastes. Um, the book starts out, Ecclesiastes starts out as the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. It's a book full of the wisdom of life, but focused on the wisdom of keeping this life in perspective always. This is what I want you to basically get today in my entreaty to you from the passages I've picked. To keep a kingdom perspective, to always come back to Christ and the gospel, and to treasure God above all else. To not get distracted by the things of the world, but to constantly renew your mind and spirit to the things of God. So if you turn to Ecclesiastes, we're going to be in chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 10, and I'm going to skip down to verses 15 through 17. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Verse 15. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Whoever loves money never has money enough. This is probably not the first time you've heard this. I think most of you have heard this often enough in your lives. Yet if you're like me, it's something that you continue to struggle with. It's so easy to do in a society that centers on it. Money, wealth, the accumulation of things for pleasure and comfort and appearances to others. It's so easy to do. You see it all over social media. Advertisements are designed specifically for this purpose, telling you what you need. People telling you how to build wealth and letting you know what you don't have and how, fall, how, how short you fall. But you may, but, you may say... This is something easy for the wealthy to say, for those who have enough. Let me tell you something from my own life that I continue to learn then. When we first came to Fort Smith, we were taken care of by God for sure, but we didn't have much to live on. We made by on little since we had little. And at that time, we were attending a church at Eastside Baptist Church. And um, we, we attended, Alyssa and I attended a Sunday school where a pretty wealthy member of the church was guest teaching on something similar that day. And he held up, he literally held up a stack of money, $10,000, and said, how many of you think that this, that if I give this to you right now, it would solve the problems in your life? Well, no one said anything, because all we, we all knew the answer, that whoever loves money never has money enough, right? That's the church answer. But I couldn't help but chuckle in my own heart and think, well, that $10,000 would make a few things in my life a lot easier. <laughs> sure, you can say that since you have it, 
and that money may not mean much to you, but it can turn some stuff in my life around. Or in the words of the George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life, I don't know about you, about where you're from, bub, but it sure comes handy around here. <laughs> but that was the point this person teaching in Sunday school was trying to make. He, he had seen a lot of money in his life. He had lost a lot of money in his life, and he had gained it back and could tell you from experience that while it could solve some problems, there would always be more problems it can't solve. Or you'd need more of to solve. I'm discovering this more and more in my life. Whoever loves money never has money enough. <coughs> Just a little more will never be enough. In fact, when asked about how much money is enough, at the time, Andrew Carnegie, one of the wealthiest men of the early 20th century, said, just a little more. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Or maybe it's not especially wealth, money, or possessions that get you. Maybe it's comfort and peace. Maybe it's security, 401k, your time, your things. Maybe it's the love and approval of others at work or at church or at your social gathering or, or even at your home. Maybe, maybe it's romance. Maybe it's power or success in the workplace or any other such thing which could be very good things, mind you. But like the writer of Ecclesiastes, you can insert any one of these into this passage. Whoever loves time never has time enough. Whoever loves romance never has romance enough. Whoever loves power never has power enough. Whoever loves success never has success enough. Whoever loves security never has security enough. You never have enough because what you're in fact doing is toiling after the wind. The wind which can't be kept, can't be caught, is fleeting and not eternal. These things can't deliver on what they promise in church. They are not ultimately what you truly seek anyway. But we end up somehow worshiping them. What do we seek when we worship money? And what do we seek in it? Security? Well, true security, that which is found beyond this life and is eternal, can only be found in Christ, whose blood absolutely secured you, that you, that which can never be taken from you, church. What do you seek in money? Comfort and peace? Only true comfort and peace can come from Christ who died to make ultimate peace between you and God, opening your way to the true peace of God. Comfort? Don't you know that life is full of hardships for all, yet he is the comforter, the God who entered into hardship with his beloved creation, took on its pain, carried its sorrows. You have a God who can identify completely with you who, as we see in Jesus, cries with his brothers and sisters in their sorrows. What do you seek in romance? A new and fresh feeling of love and joy? Well, his mercies, his love and his joy, which are only and ultimately fulfilling, are available to you now and every day and forever and are made available through Christ and access through the Spirit. They are new every morning and will be so forever. They will never go dim or wear off, as romance always does. You see, if you seek these good things from creation and make them God 
things, you will ultimately be left wanting in your worship. You will eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says. What must we do then? Aren't all these things in life really unavoidable? I mean, we all must work, right? We work with money and time and love and and security and comfort and peace and sadness and hardships and toil and pain and loss and joy and hope. This is why we must, as it says in Romans, transform and renew our mind in these things and view them through the lens of the gospel. The writer of Ecclesiastes says in chapter two, verse, chapter 7, verse 2, he says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take heart in this. What's he saying? Keep an eternal, heavenly perspective. Because all this is not eternal. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 24 and 25 says, A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? For without him. So only in him can anything truly be enjoyed without fear or loss and having unmet fulfillments. See how it's turning back to him? Worship God. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, since, since then you have been raised with Christ, church. Set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So my heart for you, church, in this first passage is when you when your everyday life gets set this coming year and you find your heart distracted by the world think of these words and instruction from our lord all your heart's ultimate desires are not found here in this world in creation but are with and through god set your mind on things above reorient your heart to heaven to him who satisfies only then can anything here be actually freely and peacefully enjoyed as well. Then you can use what you have. Enjoy it because you know it is not your ultimate happiness. You can use it and give it away to others to spread the gospel, the good news, because you know it's not yours anyway. All you have will waste away or it will belong to others in the end. But that's fine since your ultimate treasure can't be taken from you, and your final inheritance is in him and kept for you, where nothing can destroy it and will last forever. All right. It is, uh, it is neat how we do not we, we share, hey, these are the passages on our heart, but we don't know what each other is going to say because we're trusting the Lord in it. Um, and it's, so it's neat how all things line out. Um, the first thing I would like to share from my heart for you and us is that we look at Christ with a most singular focus. And as Andy said, these things resonate through all of our messages, um, but it's not like we got together and had coffee and said, hey, here's what we're driving for. 
church, okay? Um, but my heart really is that, that we look at him with a most singular focus. And for that, go to go to Hebrews chapter 12 with me. Make, make sure we not get one passage. <laughs> it's okay. I got to see I cheated. I did the intro, my intro at the very beginning of it all. They had to give their intro and their intro. so I cheated. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. What do I mean, my heart for you, is that we look at Christ with a most singular focus. It's this. It's what Scripture says. It's Hebrews 12, 1, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Thy hope for you, cross life, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that you will have a most singular focus on Jesus Christ, and that it will cause you to cast aside every weight and sin that can hinder your race. In these passages of Christian life, is compared to a, a race, a, an athletic event, but it's not compared to a 100-meter dash, though that sounds um, horrible to me. It's not compared to a, a race where there's hurdles or a long jump or anything else. It's compared to more to a marathon. It's this long distance, and we are to run it with endurance. So I just want to walk through these passages, or through this passage, and um, just to, Mike said beforehand, he goes, hey, um, I, I, I've never done one of these before, and so like my way doesn't, it doesn't, it's not probably going to sound like yours and Andy's approach, and I said that's exactly the point of it. We all speak and we all teach differently. We're all teaching truth, and so we're going to do it in, in a fashion that I'm most comfortable with, and so we're going to start right there at the very beginning. Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Stop right there. It would seem, whenever we read this in isolation, that we could look around and say, oh, I'm surrounded by a great, a great cloud of witnesses right here um, within Cross Life. And I'm, I don't think that that's untrue. I think that that is true. I look around the room and I see saints that I am honored and humbled to be able to walk alongside. And I'm encouraged by that cloud of witnesses. But if you read it in context, and it follows chapter 11. And chapter 11 is this historical great cloud of witnesses that have come before us and who trusted and walked with endurance and, the, and they had perseverance because they trusted what the Lord had told them. And so they walked in faith all throughout chapter 11. You and I are surrounded not just by one another, but by a historical cloud of witnesses of brothers and sisters of the faith who have, who have trusted the Lord's promises. And here's what I think is really crazy is that Christ is not just the end goal to which we're running. Make no mistake, we are running to an all-consuming, all-glorifying radiance of God. In the end, we will see him face to face. But we don't just run to him, we run with him. By his Holy Spirit, he is within us and he is within every witness that's in this room as we are running forward. We're not just running to Christ, we're running with Christ. He is bringing us home. He is bringing us to himself. He will be faithful. So what must we do then? Three things. Number one, according to Scripture, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The Greek word for weight there refers to anything that has mass or is a burden or can weigh you down. Weights really is an appropriate word. 
but it could be anything that is a hindrance, a burden, as weight, anything then that slows down your pursuit of Christ. Anything that slows down our pursuit of Christ is that hindrance, it is that weight. So this may be habits we have or don't have, distractions, patterns, hobbies, selfish desires, practices, idolatry. And sin here is referring not to just like one specific sin, but any sin in general. Right? Each of us is tempted to sin each in his own way. But sin here is referring to any sin in general, and whatever that sin may be, greed, jealousy, gossip, lust, idolatry, lack of self-control, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, whatever the sin is, we're to cast it aside. All way, all hindrances, all sin cast aside. The images of these two things, according to Scripture, are like trying to run this race with a loose garment. And as you're trying to run with a loose garment, like, imagine like a tunic or, uh, or something that's long and flowing. You would get tripped up. You would have to run like more like carefully and awkwardly. So what do you do? You, you take that long garment off. You run without a long garment that would hinder your progress. So we're to cast away every, like the word every there, not most, but every weight and every sin which clings so closely. And then it tells us this in Scripture. It goes on and says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is how you and I, cross life, are to run with endurance. It is not a mere 100 meter dash. This is a marathon. And it's pictured in such a way. Hear me, no wonder we get tired. No wonder we get weary and faint-hearted. The question then is not, are we tired? But why are we tired? And then this one, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I have found that I grow most wearied when my perspective is wrongly set. Therefore, look at scripture again. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is the crux of this passage for me, for you, that your eyes are not fixed on your marriage, your kids, your job, your Sunday church gathering, your devotional time, your D group, your time, I'm sorry, um, your D group time, your bank account, your goals, your dreams. To look at those is to look at something so much less than what we are to live for. Rather, look to Jesus. He supersedes every one of those things. And in pursuing him, your marriage will be stronger. Your kids will be better served. Your worship will be richer. Your devotional time will be deeper. Your deep group will be enriched. Your bank account will be more comforting. Your time will expand. Your goals will be pulled into alignment with his will. And your dreams will be refined. Will be refined. Put it this way. If you want to be a better Christian, look to Jesus. If you want to be a better husband or wife, Look to Jesus. If you want to be a better mom or dad, look to Jesus. If you want to be a better friend, son, daughter, brother, sister, then look to Jesus. If you want to glorify him at your work, look to Jesus. You see, we can run after many things and exhaust ourselves. Or we can run to the finish line and complete all of those things along the way. The question is, what is your focus set upon? Where your gaze is set, there you will go. My hope and prayer is that you have or develop a singular focus on Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God.
Yeah. <clears throat> the second thing I'd like to share from my heart to you and for us is that worship is the fuel of missions. Our love for others must overflow <clears throat> from our love and relationship with God and a zeal for him to be worshiped by every tribe, nation, and tongue in this earth. Uh, from the very beginnings of Cross Life, we've been a church that values missions. Ricky and Andy have shared with me uh, some of their initial vision of just doing church simply was in part to allow for a larger portion of the church funds to go towards missions activity. It's actually one of the reasons that Anna and I felt called to join Cross Life. Uh, currently around 30% of our budget or so is allocated to mission activities specifically, uh, but those, you know, be that, you know, specific missionaries that we support, uh, the Southern Baptist Cooperative Program, or the pro-life ministry here in Fort Smith. However, <laughs> as elders, <clears throat> we felt the Lord's leading for us to expand that breadth of work. Understanding we're compelled to share the gospel, the good news with others, whether that's our family, our neighbors, uh, across the state, across the nation, or across the world, we've committed to having a more missions focus across life in the coming years. Years ago, John Piper wrote a now classic book on missions called Let the Nations Be Glad, and it opens with some rather interesting words. It says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their face before the throne of God, missions will be no more. Worship will be for all eternity. The ultimate goal of missions is nothing less than the worship of God, and we, the church, are designed to be God's corporate display of his glory to the nations. The goal of creating worshipers is accomplished by local churches, gathered bodies of believers, under the authority of elders who are discipling each other, holding fast to sound doctrine, practicing the Lord's Supper, baptism, and seeking to obey God. My prayer for us is that we do not become so preoccupied with what we're doing here locally that we fail to see the urgent need of the world around us. In Romans 9.17, Paul says, God's goal in redeeming Israel is that his name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In Isaiah 66.19, God promised that he would send messengers to the coastlands afar off that have not heard the fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And the Apostle Paul said that his ministry as a missionary was to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among all the nations. Romans 1.5 We need to remember that when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he gave it with a massive foundation of certainty. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go 
and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, nothing can stop him. In Matthew 24, 14, it says, The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as the testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. The doctrine of God's sovereignty should have significant impact on our missions work. It should give us boldness and confidence because we've been, been commissioned by a king of the universe to proclaim an unstoppable message that can transform even the most resistant hearts. The reason we can go to the end of the earth is so God will be worshipped and receive his glory with all of the peoples he made delight and worship him. Psalm 86, 9 and 10 says, All nations whom you made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Not even the hardened Saul of Tarsus was impervious to the power of God's call. God opened his heart and his eyes to the truth of Christ. So we need, we know that we can enter into some really difficult areas and boldly and with great hope because we know that he will cause all who are appointed to eternal life to believe. Acts 13, 48. The truth of God's sovereignty likewise sustains us through you know, periods of unfruitfulness and discouragement. In Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, it says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. His mission, it will not fail. It cannot fail because it's his mission. The Bible proclaims one unified message from Genesis to Revelation. We who are blessed with the knowledge of God and the salvation offered through the death and resurrection of Christ should spread that blessing to all the peoples of the earth. To do anything differently is to obey God's direct command. While we know many are called to go, no one is exempt from involvement in the command to make disciples of all peoples. So you might be thinking, how can I be more involved with missions? How can Christ's life really amp up what we do. First and foremost, we should ask the Lord how he wants us to accomplish this. Then we should be obedient to his direction. We should give, go, send, pray, and welcome. When we give, we can leverage the blessings and opportunities God has given us by sharing and investing in the work of the gospel around the globe. We already have a part of many mission activities through opportunities like the Annie Armstrong, Dixie Jackson, and Lottie Moon offerings that we participate in throughout the year. We can go. You can go. You can answer the call. Take his name to a different culture. Perhaps through a mission organization like the International Mission Board, or maybe by taking a job on your own in a country where people have limited access to the gospel. Yes, we can work and witness. 
We can send. As a church, we can send and finance missionaries and support them with logistics and encouragement and support throughout the year. We can pray. Commit to praying for a specific missionary, a, a ministry, a, a people group. Our belief in God's sovereign election should foster prayerfulness in missions. Why do we pray for the salvation of the hearers? Because we realize missionaries are powerless to save. Only God's Spirit can open their eyes and give them life. We can welcome, care, and befriend those internationals who come to our community for work, study, or just a new life. Bring them into your home. Open your life to them. Feed them. <laughs> Share the good news of Christ with them. Ultimately, we should understand that the doctrine of God's sovereignty and salvation is important for missions because it gives glory to God alone. Paul makes the point eloquently in Ephesians 1. Because God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, and because he predestined us for adoption as sons according to the purpose of the will, he alone receives the glory for our salvation. This is grounded, Paul says, in the eternal, immutable purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All this leads to the praise of God's glorious grace. We understand that missions is fueled by the confidence in God's sovereignty and ultimately brings worship and glory to him alone. As elders, uh, we envision that cross life should engage in a domestic opportunity in missions in 2024 and an international opportunity in 2025 as the Lord directs us. Uh, Anna and I have met with Bo and Latasha, both of whom feel led to lead out in our missions ministry. And we've discussed ways to keep missions in our minds and in our hearts as we prayerfully consider what the Lord would have us to do in the coming months and in the coming years. Matt, as well, has been doing a great job of reminding us that missions matter across life through our participation in the one-day events and others. So I want you to encourage, to, I want to encourage you to be in prayer that as the Lord directs and guides us, that we will, as we go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that he commanded. So again, yes, it comes back around to worship. Um, we start out with worship. It leads us to to good works and proclaiming the good news, which comes back around to worship, right? Um, so I was, I was reflecting on what, what Mike was saying. I, I, I was thinking, well, um, what I want to do in this last part here is reflect on worship. What What is it, right? Like, I mean, we often think about coming here and, and singing songs and, and going to church and then, and, and that that's worship, but but how, how, how do, how do these good works, all this missions work and all this stuff come about 
because it's, a, it's supposed to be an outflowing of the love that we've received. Um, it's worship. And, and if we're doing it not out of the love and outpouring of, of the, the love and grace that we've received so that we want to give it to others, then, then it's no longer the worship that it is supposed to be. So um, my second passage then for you is as we're going and doing, we want to keep reflecting and refreshing and renewing and focusing ourselves again on God to worship him so that what we do is an outpouring of our affection. So we're basically what I want to do is, is, is uh, entreat you to keep fanning the flames, keep fanning the flames of affection for him because of what he's done for you. My final passages then come from the letter Paul wrote to the Ephesians, if you want to turn to Ephesians. It's often what I pray for those of us here at Cross Life, and what I want to leave you, what I pray for you, and what I hope for you, for yourself, and for all others in the coming years. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. It's, it's Ephesians 1, 17 through 19a, and then Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. So it's right out there. This is what I hope for you, and, I, and I, I pray for you often in these words. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, know it so well, to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Church, what if you knew that deep down in your bones? Ephesians 3 then, 16 through 19. I pray then that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ to know this to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled filled to the measure of all the fullness of God my prayer then, my entreaty is for you to seek him out daily and to always warm your hearts unto worship of him. You may read of him for more information as you get from a lecture, or you may try to discover what you're supposed to do in your life as from a motivational speech with like the 10 <coughs> steps to improve your life, but that's not the goal. The goal of our sermons, the goal of our time of worship through song, the goal of your daily Bible study and prayer preaching to yourself through the Spirit is to get an ineffable vision of Him that ends in an outpouring of worship. He is the one who satisfies all longings. He is the one who gives strength and comfort and peace and joy in all things, in good times and in hardships. Church, this week I ran across a story I think that will help us envision some of this about a woman named Florence Chadwick. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel in the mid-20th century. Once she became the first woman to do this, she set out with the goal to become the first woman to swim the 26 miles from Catalina Island to 
the coast of California. The morning she set off to swim this, there was a fog that covered the island in this vein of ocean. As she was swimming, the little boat that stayed alongside her to help her and encourage her had her mother in it, and toward the end of the swim, Florence couldn't go on. She couldn't make it, even with the encouragement of her mother and all those in the boat. They finally took her into the boat. Only later did she discover that she was only about half a mile away from the coast. But she couldn't see it because of all the fog. Well, two months later, she attempted the same swim again. Except this time, the fog was worse than before. Not only, however, did she make the swim this time, but she beat the world record by over two hours previously held by a man. When asked by reporters how she did this when the conditions were even worse than before, Florence responded by saying that this time, she kept a vision of the coast at the forefront of her mind the whole time, helping her press on. In this story, I think we have a picture of worship. What we keep our eyes on, our mind focused on, is important for the journey. This is worship, keeping him and his promises ever before you through the fog and adversity of life. When you see him, when you know him, your mind will be renewed and your life is transformed in the image of Christ more and more. You'll have the love, the power to love because you'll see his love for you. You'll have the power to forgive even your enemies because you realize that you will never have to forgive as much as he forgave you. Such power only comes through knowing him truly deep down and worshiping him. So what these prayers in Ephesians say is what I hope and pray for you in the coming years. May the spirit dwell in you so that you may know him. You may be fully satisfied in him. May Christ dwell in your hearts. May he reveal to you the glorious riches you have in him and in the inheritance of the saints. And like a new love, like a new romance, remember that? Where someone continually preoccupies your mind and affections, your heart, with new, fresh, and exciting feelings and longings. So too, in the same way, May your love of God always preoccupy your thoughts and your heart's affections in the coming year and years, overflowing in worship. So with that, I want to leave you with words of worship that I read and brought me to tears this week. After expounding on the hope in Christ, yes, even rap artist's beautiful eulogy worships, O oh Jesus, King most wonderful, thou conqueror renowned, thou sweetness most ineffable, in whom all joys are found. O oh, Jesus, light of all below, thou fount of life and fire, surpassing all the joys we know and all we can desire. May every heart confess thy name and ever thee adore in seeking thee itself and flame to seek thee more and more. In the same vein, I have to end the scripture. Paul broke out into worship after explaining in his gospel that goodness of the, of the news of Jesus to the Romans, he pours out in chapter 11, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should repay them? 
For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. All right, our final passage today is in Ecclesiastes 9. The second thing I would like to share from my heart for you and us is that we would find peace, freedom, and joy in the lives that God has given us in Christ. If I could commend one book to you um, outside of the Bible to read this upcoming year, if you have not read Gentle and Lowly by Dave Ortland, I would say that's a great book to read. It shows a great tenderness and compassion and love of Christ um, that nobody told me about. I knew of it, I thought, but I didn't understand the richness of it. And another book I would commend to you that's in the Bible is to read Ecclesiastes. Um, because for me, it's a, per a perspective fixer. And I'll, I'll, I'll show you what I mean. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 10 says this. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as the one who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man, that's those who do not know Christ, are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living, that is believers, has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they shall have no share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. That's my final passage for you and, and hear my heart in this. I love the book of Ecclesiastes because for me it's a, per a perspective fixer. It takes my eyes from here and here and it just fixes them yet again on what God has given us in our life. Some would say it's a depressing book because it seems like it's saying that everything is vanity and everything is pointless and, and everything is striving after wind. Well, if you live to, for those things under the sun, then it is. It's all pointless. It's all mindless. It's all vanity. It's all striving after wind. But when our eyes are fixed beyond the sun, upon the sun whose radiance outshines the sun, then everything begins to change. If you read Ecclesiastes with that in mind, I find it's probably one of the most true books in the Bible. It can seem a little negative, but I don't really see the negative. I mean, it seems negative to say that both the wicked and the living are going to face the same hardships and that the same hardships happen to, happens to both of them. It can sound negative, but to me it helps because it's accounted for in Scripture. 
It's accounted for that God has chosen to deal with things in his own way. That the rain will fall on the just and the unjust. That the good will happen to sinners and saints. Why? Because that's how God has determined that he would run his world. I no longer have to question why. Ecclesiastes 11.5 even says, As you do not know the way of the spirit comes into the bones of, in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So he's always working. He's always purposeful. That's relieving. I sided in with Rudyard Kipling in his Charge of the Light Brigade. There's a great line. Ours is not to question why. Ours is but to do and die. We don't have to question why the Almighty God does what he does. We just do what we're called to do. And therefore, what are we called to do? I love this. This is my heart for you. Okay, we're getting there. If all these things are true... If the wicked and the righteous experience the same, including death, then what separates them? And it says in Scripture, also the hearts of the children of man, the unbelievers, are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living believers has hope. That's what separates us. So therefore, how do we live our lives according to Scripture? Here you go. Number one. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Why? It says because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which, with, at, at which you toil under the sun. And then it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. Do you know, you take all those things together, do you know what we're to do in light of the truths of a sovereign God who has loved us with our eyes fixed solely on Christ? Enjoy the life that he has given us. Enjoy your wife, enjoy your kids, enjoy your work, enjoy the tasks that you've given us. And it is good and right. Hear me. It is good and right and scriptural and God honoring and God exalting to enjoy everything that he has given you. That's what I want for you this year. Is that whatever it is that God has given you, you enjoy it. It goes on in 11 and 12, which we did not read. And it says this. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift. Though our world tells us it is. Nor is the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen in them all, for man does not know his time. So until that time, we enjoy the life he's given us to its fullest. None of this is to give us a license to sin or pick up any extra weights. No, in all things, honor Christ, but also honor him with the life that he has given you. We race toward and worry about all the wrong things, church. If God is sovereign, and he is, honor him by trusting him as you enjoy all that he has placed in your life. Find joy in what he has given you. Be merry. Seek holiness. Enjoy your spouse, marriage, family. And work hard. Whatever good there is in your life is given by God for your enjoyment and your joy, and this is not a bad thing. A good Father has given you these things for your delight. Therefore, my hope and prayer is that we would find peace 
freedom and joy in the lives that God has given us in Christ in this upcoming year. Let's pray. Lord, we have said many words, but I pray that you are honored by those many words. Lord, I pray that there's a resonance throughout all the elders as we shepherd. Lord, not only that we know those who gather at Cross Life, but Lord, that we are known by those who gather at Cross Life. But Lord, that these aren't also just passages that we have shared with others, but Lord, that these are things that we are actively living out. Lord, teach us to worship yet again. Teach us, Lord, to, to fix our eyes on you who is the true satisfaction. Or teach us to have a mission mindset that takes your glory to the world. Or teach us to find enjoyment fully and joyfully in all that you have given us with our eyes fixed solely on you, our singular focus. Lord, may your name be praised and your glory be known. That is our heart's desire for cross life in this upcoming year. Whatever that looks like in your determined. And we pray so on your son's holy name. Amen.